pause to consider. The podcast where you put your busy day on pause to consider spiritual encouragement and wisdom on your walk towards God's kingdom. Thanks for joining me. I'm Sam Taylor, here to get you thinking about the Word of God. Do you have a family heirloom that you cherish? If you do, just picture it in your mind for a moment and consider what makes it significant to you. Is it this item's rich history? Maybe it's that classic design you just don't see anymore? Or perhaps it just reminds you of someone you love that's no longer here. Whatever makes it important to you, I'm sure you can appreciate its place in your life. A few years ago, I inherited two pieces of antique furniture from my dad after he died. Both of these pieces needed substantial work to restore them to their former beauty. And after a lot of thought, I decided to keep and restore one of them, but sell the other. See if you can figure out which I plan to keep and which I plan to sell. One piece was a hand-carved solid wood sofa made in France in the late 1700s. It's been in my family for over 200 years, and it made the voyage with them across the Atlantic. This sofa was sacred to my dad, not just because of its historical significance, but also because of the family history associated with it. But as a kid, I wasn't allowed to sit on it or even touch it. All I could do was admire this sofa from a distance. The other piece is a solid wood secretary bookshelf with a drop-down desk. This was made in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it belonged to my great-grandfather in New Jersey. My dad loved this piece also because it belonged to someone he looked up to all his life. When I was younger, my dad let me use it so I could study for school. I learned about all the secret compartments for storage, and I hid keepsakes in it throughout the years. Which one do you think I'll keep? The French sofa or the secretary desk? If you guessed the desk, you were right. While the French sofa is steep in history and has old-world craftsmanship worked into its frame, it's not practical. I don't dare to sit on it, not just because of habit, but because of how old it is. All it does is takes up space in my house. It's never going to be used, and it's not going to be loved the way it deserves. I only kept it out of obligation to honor my dad, not out of an appreciation for the sofa or any intent to use it. On the other hand, I had a lot of interaction with the desk early on, knowing it could be mine. I got to choose what I kept in its compartments and how I used it. And though it was handed down to me over several generations, I learned to appreciate its utility for myself, and I made it my own. So when it came time for me to decide what I would refinish and keep, it was an easy choice to pick the desk. I wasn't worried about restoring it to how it looked 100 years ago. I had a personal investment in keeping this desk in good condition for my own enjoyment. Although I agonized over my inheritance of furniture, my real struggle was with inheriting tradition. Whether you've had experience with treasured keepsakes or not, you've likely experienced pressure to uphold tradition. You know, it can feel stifling to carry it on, especially when the answer to why should I do this is because we've always done it this way. And while that answer is all too common, it's a dangerous answer because 
It can lead people to be skeptical of all traditions, good and bad. People in the Bible were no strangers to tradition and often felt the same pressures you and I do about upholding them. And just like today, they had dealings with good and bad traditions. Listen to what Jesus told the Pharisees about one of their traditions in Mark 7, verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. See, in this tradition, Pharisees use korban, a feature of the law, to bypass God's command to care for their parents for their own selfish gain. Now contrast that with healthy traditions, like Daniel's tradition found in Daniel 6, where he opened a window facing Jerusalem to pray three times a day. And this raises a critical question for us. What makes a tradition good or bad? To understand this, we need to understand what traditions are and what their role in our lives should be. You see, traditions don't just come into being. They start as individual behaviors driven by thoughts and feelings. And when these behaviors are repeated over time, they become habits. Now, if a single person's habits are influential enough to be picked up by a group of people, they can become cultural norms. And once a cultural norm is passed down from one generation to the next, well, that's when it finally becomes tradition. Because traditions eventually become reflexive behaviors due to repetition, it's important to ask ourselves, what motivates these behaviors? Is it to help us follow God's commandments? Or is it to satisfy our own desires? You see, the Lord raised this very point about the Sabbath when he told the Pharisees in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create mankind to uphold the laws of Sabbath rest, but he created the Sabbath day after creating humanity as a tool to help us understand the need to rest from works of the flesh. While traditions can help us follow God's commandments, they shouldn't take the place of God's commandments. And this brings me back to the example of those antiques my dad left me. By examining the function of each piece of furniture in my life, I decided to examine a 200-year-old tradition in my family and figure out if it was serving me or if I was serving it. Following dead traditions without questioning their utility in our lives will lead to a weakened faith. A living faith, however, compels us to challenge our behaviors and habits and traditions in our lives to ensure they serve us in our service to God, Jesus Christ, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, this might be why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, bear in mind that just as I plan to keep one piece of furniture and sell the other, you may find some traditions handed down to you might still help you. Not only that, but you and another follower of Christ may look at the very same tradition and get different levels of benefit. Suits and ties in worship are a common example. One person might see them as a financial burden, one that causes partiality in the household of faith. Yet another person might appreciate putting on a suit and tie as a helpful way to prepare their mind for worship. As we all deal with the extra-biblical traditions in our society, we, we need to show each other compassion. We come from different backgrounds and we're all at different stages of life. For you, a tradition might be a weight that helps you to build your strength. But for someone else, that same tradition might be a ball and chain that keeps them from moving altogether. Whatever that case may be, keep your eyes on the prize. You're not running towards following tradition. You're running towards God's kingdom. And you need to focus to serve that end. The traditions we uphold will either help you toward the kingdom of God or you need to shed that weight, that burden of tradition that doesn't serve a utility in your life so that you can keep running. So to conclude, I think we'll consider the thoughts of Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to thank you for listening to another devotion here on Pause to Consider. If you like this devotion, I hope you share it with your friends and your loved ones. If you have any thoughts or questions, you can email me at pause to consider podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow my Facebook and Instagram pages. But above all else, I hope this devotion was helpful for you. And I hope that God will bless you until we meet again, whether it be during our next devotion or in God's kingdom. God bless. Thank you for listening to Pause to Consider. I'm Levi, and I wanted to be sure you've heard about a few other podcasts in the WCF Network. 
I am actually one of the co-hosts on a show called A Little Faith, where we explore faith breakdowns and buildups with different people who have very powerful stories to tell. That's A Little Faith. Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships in From the Platform. It's a very in-depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or our website, wcfoundation.org slash podcasts. Have a great week.